Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Roadmap. I'm your host, Rach, and today I am super excited to welcome another external guest onto um, the show. So welcome, Julia. So Julia is a senior product manager at Intercom, and today's episode is going to be slightly different. What I wanted to do is put a bit of a spin on some of the usual content we've recently been sharing around techniques, areas of product and tech and best practices. And on this week's episode, what I wanted to do was actually focus on the story of a product, how an idea is formed, um, the roles involved in bringing that product to life um, and some real life lessons. Uh, So Julia is joining us today and she's going to be giving us her story in the rollout of Finn. Uh, which is a generative AI chatbot that uh, was introduced by Intercom very recently. Um, And she's going to be telling us her product story about how she managed to bring this to life and launch it. But before we get into that, um, Julia, would you mind just introducing yourself to the listeners at home, just telling us a bit about yourself, your role at Intercom and how you got into product management? Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. It's lovely to talk to you today. Um, well, I think we, we spoke about this before, but my uh, journey into product was a bit squiggly, as we talk about. I actually come from a museum and research background, so don't come from traditional tech background. Um, so I actually started working in tech around 2016 when I lived in Germany. Um, and actually, I had gone to do my master's. And because I didn't speak much German, I didn't have many options um, for work. So I had a couple of friends that worked in a car sharing startup in Munich. And really the CEO took a bet on my transferable skills and said, you should be good enough to do the role of a product manager. Um, so I really had to learn from the ground up like what it meant to be a product manager, how you do the role. Um, so it was, a, it was a really interesting journey, fell in love with product. Um, and I think, yeah, that's sort of how I started. I actually really fell in love with the idea of the ways of working. Um, they were much more transparent, more collaborative. Um, very different to what I'd experienced working in museums. Um, So I decided I wanted to go back to London and retrain as an agile coach. So I worked for a couple of years um, in the healthcare industry as an agile coach and ultimately decided I wanted to be a little bit more hands-on with building the product rather than building the team. And so that's how I got into product. Yeah, I think it's really interesting as well that you mentioned that you come from a museum and history background um, because that is a very similar route for me, like a former history student. And I think, I definitely think it's like that curiosity mindset that you have that um, definitely leads you into, I think a lot of product managers that I've talked to before, like it's been that curiosity, that story, the reasons behind things. So I think it's really interesting that you've come from a similar background as well. And yeah, definitely squiggly, squiggly lines. (laughs) Um, brilliant. So today we are talking about Finn. Um, and I guess let's just take it back to the start. So for, so for those of us who might be listening at home, um, who might be brand new to this product, obviously I've just used the word AI here. Um, could you tell us what Finn is? Particularly, what is that idea of generative AI? How does it work? Yeah, perfect. Oh, well, you did a good enough job in explaining what it is, but Finn is a generative AI chatbot. So the idea is that it will 
well, Intercom, let me just take a step back, uh, is a customer service platform. So Finn helps customers answer questions automatically. So with little to no training, you know, you pop your help center content, for example, into Finn's engine and it will help answer questions um, automatically. So slightly different to previous models of chatbots that we had before. We had one called Resolution Bot, which required more training. Um, so you had to train the, the engine, to then answer the questions on, on, on your behalf. But with Finn, it's different. Um, you plug in the content and it generates the answer based on what the end user is asking. So the, the broad idea of Finn is to help reduce the volume of support queries that reach support reps, basically. So that's like the, the general idea of Finn. Um, and it's different to previous iterations of, of chatbots in the sense that it's more conversational, um, it also has more um, safeguards around it as well. So it, will, it won't answer random questions um, from the internet. It will just answer questions based on your help center knowledge, which is really important for customer service because you want to give the right answers and you don't want the bot to hallucinate, which is something that we saw with previous technology. Um, so that's sort of like the idea of Finn is to, you know, to, to help customers um, reduce the, the amount of work that... Um, the support reps need to to, to put in. Um, and Finn is this, this chatbot. It's multilingual. It can work on different channels. Um, uh, yeah, we've, we've been working on making it more robust as we go along. So it's been really interesting to see the, the evolution of, of Finn. So we can talk a little bit more about that as well. But I think what really makes it stand out is that it's part of, you know, a fully fledged platform right so it's you know we're providing a seamless like end-to-end -end experience so all the way from the you know the end user first reaching out to to someone over the messenger all the way to the you know the end if it needs to hand over to to support rep for example or, or just all that you know intercom gives you that you know all those touch points yeah. for that journey so that's that's what finn is in a nutshell how did you come up with the name Finn? <laughs> there's a there's a whole other podcast on that that you can uh, <laughs> listen to. Um, this, it wasn't me. Uh, it was um, I think it was the the marketing team wanted to think about something that was short, snappy, yeah. that had a personality. And um, there was different incarnations of like the name that that yeah. that came about, but it was important to give it that sense of of personality. Um, yeah. And, I think that was like the the whole story around it. I think they had some some different ideas from I think like Kai to Liam to all all sorts of things. They had some <laughs> sort of like principles yeah. around what it was. Wanted it to be gender neutral, short, yeah. snappy, re you know, recognizable. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a story <laughs> for another podcast. It's very um, yeah, amazing. Um, so I guess if we take it back to the beginning stages of this product coming to life, um, how did this idea come around? So it feels like there was a big step from chatbots and functionalities that already exist. How did you go from that to the idea of, okay, we want to create something like Thin? Yeah, I think as I mentioned before, we had a previous iteration of, uh, you know, machine learning chatbot called Resolution Bot. Um, sort of the the engine that powered resolution but required training, as I mentioned, and that can be quite cumbersome for, for customers, right? There's a lot of training involved, needing to create your content. There's, there's a whole you know apparatus around that that you need to sort of get involved in. So I think it's, it's difficult to adopt something like that. Um, but then there's a the balance of the technology, right? I think um, towards the end of last year, when uh, OpenAI launched GPT 3.5, um, we started thinking about it. And uh, the machine learning team that's uh, led by Fergal Reed started to explore whether or not we could 
make something out of it? Can we make it easier to create these, you know, these chatbots? And um, they did a sort of proof of concept and it was like, it's not there yet. The technology isn't there yet. It's not ready. It's not conversational enough or it hallucinates more than it should for like what we're trying to achieve. So it just wasn't there yet. And then I think towards the, the beginning of this year, uh, we got access to OpenAI's GPT-4 beta that had come out and the team again started to explore whether or not it could work. And that's sort of when they said, you know what, I actually think that this could be something. It's conversational, it takes prompts well, it takes instructions well. So I think we could actually do something here. And I think that was like the, you know, flip of a switch. That's sort of when we all just like jumped on it. So that's when we started working on it. So when we said, okay, like the, we know what the the need is, like the problems that customers currently have, how we can help uh, solve that. Um, When the technology was there and it was the right time, that's sort of when we said, okay, now let's let's work on it and that's when I got involved when we were ready to start validating the solution and putting it in front of customers. And who was involved in that so how did you start to put people together to kick this work off what did that look like? It was definitely a product built by many hands it was a truly cross-functional experience you had people in R&D you had people in marketing and sales customer advocacy there were people from all over the the company like invested in Finn and working on Finn um so you know I was working on it from a product perspective but we had people working on it from a pricing and packaging perspective marketing GTM it was a whole <laughs> a whole thing in in the company it was really nice to see actually because I hadn't worked on something to that scale of investment before where it felt like everyone was working on the same thing and we were all rowing in the same direction. So I think that was pretty cool um, just to see how something can move at scale and at pace when you put that investment into it. So that's sort of like how it started, I'd say. And what was that like to work with so many people? Like all at once, everyone just kind of like swarmed together. How did you find that initially? Yeah, I think it it had its ups and downs because I think, you know, you're working at scale yeah. there's so many different teams working on the same thing I think there's challenges within that already yeah. um, you need to make sure that you're you know on the same page that you're working together what you know sort of you know you're working towards the same goal um, but it really helped that we sort of had broken down this work into different milestones so the first one was around the beta and like really validating what the solution would look like so that's sort of like where it all started off and you know my team was involved in that we had some other teams um, around it as well we had all the enablement around us and you know leadership support to to start validating what that solution looked like um, so that beta was just really gathering the customer testimonials the hard data understanding like what worked what didn't work for, for customers um, and then once we were ready to scale a bit further with the beta that's when we said okay now we need more support and that's for example when the sales team got involved and they really helped with bringing sort of the beta to life and scale so that's when you know we had more people join the beta so initially we had around 10 people it was a very manual process and then all of a sudden it kicked into you know hundreds and then even more than that um, so that's sort of when it started gaining traction and more and pe- more and more people got involved so that was sort of like the the beta phase and then when we were ready we got to what we called the early access yeah so we had the customers off the waiting list so initially when we made the announcement I think it was around March the 14th uh, we had, I think, around 6,000 people on the wait list in the, f- in the first week. So it was good signal for, you know, market demand. Yeah. Um, and we started just gradually onboarding these people from the wait list. 
Um, and as more and more people got involved, that's when we started. Um, more people got involved within Intercom as well. Yeah. So it's it an interesting process. I guess, did you have any challenges? Um, I feel like, you know, no product launch ever goes uh, perfectly. Did you have any challenges? How did you kind of overcome those? I think personally, it definitely was challenging having so many teams working on the same thing. I think, you know, we're, we're generally quite contained in like the product squad that we that we work in, for example, where, you know, we're taking ownership over a problem, we're solving that together as a team. Whereas here we had many, many more teams working on something. So the that was a challenge in itself to make sure that we're, you know, on the same page, aligned, moving to, together in the same in the same direction. Um, I think that was like the the main challenge that I, I felt. Of course, I hadn't experienced something like that in, in, in yeah. that scale. So I think that was definitely something that was challenging. But also, um, I'm not sure if you're aware, Intercom have R&D principles, you know, principles that govern how we do product, how we build software. Um, and we usually would, you know, you, we say we start with a problem, we take time really thinking about what the problem space is, like what the problem is, being able to articulate that, why we should solve it, who we're solving it for. Yeah. We normally take quite a long time like thinking about that to make sure that we're doing the right thing. Whereas here, what we were trying to optimize for was speed to market. So we yeah. didn't have that time. So what we really what we really needed to do is make sure that we're balancing like the pace of execution and the yeah. pace of getting Finn out to the market, but still keeping, you know, our foundational principles alive. And I think we did that well. Like I think everyone that works at Intercom embodies those principles in one way or another and yeah. make sure that they're, you know, lived in, you know, day to day practice. Um, but it, that was still a challenge because it was something that was quite different to, to how we were yeah. operating before. Um, and I think another challenge as well was the fact that it was the first of its kind in the market. There wasn't really a b blueprint of what it should look like, right? Um, of course, we had like learnings from the resolution bot and the yeah. previous chatbot that we had. But this new technology, GPT-4, for example, was so novel, it hadn't, you know, people hadn't even used it before. Yeah. So there was not only the challenge of trying to understand like what the shape of the solution should look like, but it was also trying to understand our customers' perceptions towards kind yeah. of technology like that and how they could trust it, what would make them trust it, what would yeah. make them want to use it. So I think there was like trying to balance those different like yeah. levels was, was quite challenging, um, but it was a fun challenge. <laughs> yeah, it, so it definitely sounds like a, a different kind of challenge as well. And especially because you mentioned it is at scale. Um, and yeah, it sounds like it was really important that speed to market. I think as well, like if you don't have the blueprint for something, and you are like the new kind of emerging product in that particular industry, I think it does give you quite a lot of flexibility. And I think it was the temptation that, you know, you could risk yourself kind of going into a more visionary, um, you know, the world is our oyster. Was the, the temptation there to be perhaps a little bit too creative, like for scope creep to come in into that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think one of the principles is around thinking big, but yeah. start small. Uh, we talk about the cupcake. So like, what is the smallest thing that we could do to validate our assumption or learn what we need yeah. to learn rather than sort of jumping to the wedding cake already? So I know yeah. this is, you know, quite a simple, um, uh, you know, concept in, in product, but we really take that to hand. So I think the idea of like, what is the cupcake? What is that one, you know, that small iteration of the thing? Yeah that we need to aim for to make sure that we're on the right track, that we're learning what we need to learn, that we can validate what we need to validate. Yeah. So it was really helpful at every checkpoint. So for example, 
the beta or the early access or the general release to have the like the goals that underpin each of these like this is what we want to learn and be very strict with that yeah. because as i said we were optimizing for speed to market we didn't have time to you know do all the bells and whistles so we really needed to hone into like what is it that we're trying to do for our customers like what is the problem that we're trying to solve and what is that you know the basic thing yeah. that can do that for them we we have time later for the bells and whistles if we think that that's what's yeah. needed but what is the you know the essential thing that we need to get out there i think that's that's the the, the main thing that we really had to to think about when we were doing this yeah excellent um so i guess with the benefit of hindsight you know you've you've taken this product out to to market to scale now um i guess there's always lessons to be learned and I know you mentioned to me you know when we started planning this episode out there was a lot of things that you learned from that process um shall we kind of go through some of these lessons that you had (laughs) um yeah so the first lesson I know it was all around like kind of like the north star Mm. um can you kind of go into a bit of detail around that yeah of course I think we've alluded to this um already but I think what really helped and I mentioned this I think at the beginning was the sense that we were all rowing in the same direction. I think I'd never felt that so strongly before. There was a real sense of energy, of movement, of everyone going in the same direction. And so when I think back and trying to understand, you know, what made us, you know, be that or, uh, you know, embody that, I think it it came down to the fact that we we had already aligned on what our North Star for this process would be. So it's not necessarily like what are the principles that will govern the product that we create, it's the principles that govern how we will build this product. And for us, aligning from the beginning that we are optimizing for speed to market was key. Like we wanted to be able to optimize for speed to market because we knew we had a short window to capitalize on, you know, this new technology and put ourselves out there and deliver something in order for us to become the leader in AI for customer support. So that really gave us the push to say, you know, we need to be focused. We need to be able to make the decisions that enable us to move at speed. Um, And I think that's really important and relevant for any team, any product manager, anyone really. When you kick something off, you can think, what is that one thing that we want to optimize for? And essentially it's a trade-off, right? Because we could, uh, we optimize for speed, um, but there are other trade-offs, right? It's, um, It's one thing over another. And you need to be like clear on that. And and that's a good conversation to have with your team yeah. when you first start, right? It's giving them the context. I, th- I think you we talked about this before where um, you're giving your team the, the context yeah. so that they can make those decisions yeah. on their day-to-day thinking about that thing that you're optimizing for. You know, we make hundreds of decisions a day. And if we've got that, okay, shared understanding of like what we're trying to, like what we're trying to achieve, how we're trying to achieve it, that makes it easier for, for anyone to make decisions and, and trade-offs. Yeah, and I think it's really important that you've mentioned, you know, from the start, getting that alignment and get getting everyone together to have that conversation. Um, yeah, and I think it sounds like the key to this as well was bringing people in early on because of the amount of people that were involved in it um, that's, that's helped you to kind of have a smoother process happening. Yeah, 100%. I think it def- definitely helped. Like, it... Um, not here to sugarcoat it it was a very intense period I think everyone felt it you know what what is AI going to do to anything to our job to the industry to to, it was a it was a very you know it was a step change right um so it was it was very exciting though but yeah definitely (laughs) it it definitely helped us like move at, at speed but 
keeping everything else at bay, just sort of trying to clear the noise around us as well, because it's quite easy, as we, we talked yeah. about, to fall in the, in the temptation of doing, you know, the bells and whistles. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned, you know, sharing things early on, bringing people in the process, early in the process, uh, early on in the process. Um, yeah, so this kind of leads on to the second um, learning area that you've mentioned, um, which is all about, you know, sharing insights early and often. And I think that's a really important part as well, because I think sometimes it's quite easy as a product manager to, because you've got so many different things to do in your day-to-day job, that often factor um, is quite key sometimes when you want to bring people on a journey. Um, yeah, so would you mind kind of yeah. going into and delving into that area? Yeah, I think this is one that I found the most um, exciting, yeah. I'd say maybe. Um, I think something for us, because this was a zero to one product, we didn't have, you know, the insights from this new technology, how customers would react to it, what they were thinking about it, how they wanted to use it. It was really important to share the insights from customer calls, from the data that we were seeing early and to everyone. So what we did was we created a Slack channel, um, but I guess you could do this on uh, anywhere in any way that you share information. But we created the, the Slack channel where anyone could join yeah. and we would share insights from customer calls that we did. So we would share insights or video snippets, anything that could serve as inspiration or insight for anyone. So it was just about creating that sort of shared pool of understanding from the people working on my team all the way to the CEO. We're highly involved in yeah. this channel, asking questions, learning from, from the data. So it was really important that we shared both the qualitative, so you know, the notes that I took from customer calls, like this is what we learned, this is the kind of uh, customer that we talked to, this is how they're using Finn. So it was very important to share that, but also shared the, you know, the qualitative data. So so we could actually get a good sense of like how people are using it, what are the, you know, the impact that it's causing. So I think that was really helpful right from the beginning to create that shared understanding of like, this is where our customer is at. This is what they're thinking. This is what they're feeling. This is what they're doing. Um, so it was really important. And it's something that we continue using to today. Today it's evolved into a little bit more. So now instead of sharing you know, the the beginnings of, of Finn and how people are feeling. It's like, okay, this is how people are using it. Or the sales team will talk about the things that customers would love to see. Um, so it's sort of like evolved into like an even bigger thing now. But I think that was really critical at the beginning yeah. to make sure that we all shared the same knowledge because it's not scalable to have everyone on the same call, but instead you could share the notes or the video recording. So that was really important. But it incentivizes people as well. I think if there's a very open and approachable way, such as a Slack channel or maybe another method like that, um, I think it does encourage people to think, actually, there's, you know, I see people's reactions in this channel. I see how respondent they are. I've got feedback that I've seen. Um, I'm going to put it in this channel. And I think it really opens up a lot of doors. Um, we, we do something similar here where... You know, we're always building new features. Um, we work a lot with our retailer support team um, who are often, I guess, in a similar capacity. They're working with retailers, car, like dealerships. Um, and I think yeah, it's so useful just to look at these Slack channels as a product manager and you're getting this real life example of, okay, this is how a customer's felt. Um, this is their personal experience. And you start to kind of collect, like, you st- dots, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of kind of, uh, there's a lot of, what's it called, you know, common denominators yeah. um, involved and it really helps you sometimes to come to a decision where it's like, okay, this seems to be a prevalent theme, this seems to be happening a lot. 
this customer said this so maybe actually we've got that opportunity to reach out to them because it's that's such a small scale um yeah so i think yeah slack definitely helps as well um what other sorts of insights that you got were there any kind of main findings any juicy ones i think it was just about that so right at the beginning of finn it was about how they are thinking about using Finn. So like, yeah. what are their goals? Why do they want to use it? Is it because, you know, the CEO said that they need to use AI, for example, yeah. or is it because they really feel a need to reduce the amount of, you know, queries going into the support agents because they've gone through layoffs. So it could be like a, you know, diverse, yeah. you know, reasons why they want to use Finn. Then when we started shaping the solution and putting something in front of them, we did you know, we did the beta that I mentioned, then it's insights around like how they're using the product. Like yeah. what is it that they're struggling with? Like, do they understand how you can create the bot or set the bot live? Or uh, do they understand like how you add content yeah. to Fin? So like usability um, insights. Um, and then as you know, then we launched um, in general access in, in June. Uh, after that, it's it could be insights around like the sales team. So yeah. like, what is really resonating when it comes to to selling Finn, for example? Yeah. What are the sticking points? Um, and then it come becomes, as you say, really helpful for understanding like what else do they need? You know, yeah. after this cupcake that we've done, what are the themes that are coming through? So that's sort of one of the, you know, a lot of the things that we actually did uh, as follow ups from Finn came yeah. from that channel. So you know, adding more content sources for example or making Finn multilingual or yeah. better you know more robust reporting for Finn all of that comes from that shared pool of knowledge that we have and it just makes it easier as well to manage you've yeah. got just like one slack channel that you can read to know everything that you need to know about Finn and what our customers are saying it just yeah. makes it easier to to manage as well so that was really good yeah oh brilliant um and I guess the third point so another lesson that um we chatted about recently is all about product management um so how product managers need to be comfortable with the ambiguity um yeah like what was that process like for you I guess that because it's such a new product like how did you deal with that yeah I think that's it right I I my reflection on this is because yeah product managers need to be comfortable with the ambiguity the uncertainty that is product in general yeah it's not just working on completely novel technology yeah. product management will always be messy and I think that's the thing that we need to accept and be comfortable and learn how to navigate yeah I think the of course working on a novel technology like you know um, generative AI or these different you know mo models is very wavy yeah <laughs> it's yeah. it's it's the idea that you can have the rug pulled out from under you at any point and that's okay it's learning how to sort of adapt to that that's the the important thing um i think uh what the vp of product at intercom brian said something to me the other day that really stuck he said stability isn't an asset and and he said if if things don't feel wavy they're not right in this yeah. kind of environment we need to thrive and capitalize on like this uncertainty, yeah. right? And we need to learn how to move at pace and yeah. do the right thing. So I think it's like, you know, making these calculated, you know, steps forward. I think good PMs are ones that can thrive in that kind of yeah. environment, but can really understand how to navigate that. It will always be, as I say, messy, but it's knowing and, you know, using the right tools to navigate that yeah. at any, any point in time. So. You know, for example, oh, we've got this, you know, this new thing that we want to launch or this new product that we're trying, you know, to, to develop. 
there are several risks, right? But which one's the riskiest one? How can yeah. you mitigate that? Is that by running a beta, like we mentioned? Is it by maybe talking to another product manager that did something similar? Do they have lessons learned? So just think about mitigating that, for example. Um, there's all different kinds of tools that you, you can do. We talked about the cupcake, for example, yeah. and the, like, the smallest thing, get that out there, learn. You know, It's just about finding the right tools to like, navigate that uncertainty. But a lot of people, I guess, feel comfortable with the, you know, having more stability and more certainty. But I don't, yeah, I think in product in general, it's messy. We already work in such a yeah. volatile environment anyway. So it's just about leaning into that chaos. Yeah. Um, it's something that we need to just like move on from and accept and, and just go with the flow, really. That's why I told yeah. myself so many times, just, just go with the flow. Yeah. Like lean in, literally. Yeah. yeah. Just dive in. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's so important. I think something that makes me really happy about the fact that I love working in this, this industry is that it's it's not a typical nine to five. You could walk into work one day and there'll be a new idea, a new piece of feedback, something, a new problem to solve. And I like the fact that it's not repetitive. And I love that where it's like, if it's not wavy, then something's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I love that. And yeah, I think we talked about this, like no two days are the same and we talk about product management and product in general being, you know, from the complex domain, you know, you ne there's no, there's never one right way of solving a problem, yeah. right? You experiment, you sense, you respond to that, yeah. but you can pivot or you can try something different or you can add to something that yeah. you're doing. I think that's what makes it so exciting. And I think, you know, coming from an arts background, that yeah. whole creativity of being able to yeah. resolve problems in different ways is really exciting for me and I think that really yeah makes me wake up in the morning excited so yeah. um yeah I think that's something cool yeah. about product I feel the same as well yeah Do you know like a lot of people get like Sunday scaries and no. I never feel like that I love Mondays I'm like oh <laughs> right what am I doing today yeah <laughs> I mean every day's a Monday in that case right because no two days <laughs> yeah. are the same Just, that is true every day's yeah. a day <laughs> um cool so just kind of getting back to Finn um, I guess AI in general. So I'd love to kind of hear your opinion on this because it, get, it gets used quite a lot. Like everybody that, I'd say the majority of people that I know, everyone's using chat GPT in some form or capacity. You hear things like chatbots quite a lot and you're seeing it more and more these days um, on websites, tools that you use. Um, I know we were just having a discussion earlier about the fact that like you can do AI now for your face. <laughs> um on an app to get some professional headshots if you really wanted to do that there's so many possibilities in use cases and i guess in general in the industry it'd be good to get your view on um where you see ai heading but particularly what's your opinion on the future or what's your take what do you see for finn in the future and how does it fit into that perception that you think you might have for the future your opinion of ai mm. or where do you see things heading yeah, I think as I mentioned for Finn, like we only just begun, right? It was like that initial iteration, like the, you know, the general release cupcake that we talked about. Yeah. But then as soon as we got it out to market, then we started to think about it from a product market fit lens. Yeah. Um, so PMF isn't just for like completely new products. It can yeah. also be for more mature products yeah. or mature companies, you know. Um, I think it's something that's more cyclical and dynamic. So as soon as we launched Finn, we were then thinking about, right, what do we need to do to make this adoptable? So yeah. what are the things that we need to address? So as I mentioned before, it's like 
do we want to, well, definitely wanted to, but we give uh, customers more um, options to for content to ingest, for example. So not only being able to ingest the content from your help center, but what about private help centers or what about URLs? What about files? What about uh, previous conversation history? So just thinking about that in terms yeah. of like one area of improvement that we made. Another one was working on multilingual. So at the start, Finn only spoke in English. Then we said, okay, but we've got customers all over the world. How can we make Finn yeah. speak in more languages? So we sort of use this as like a, a list of what we call this, like a PMF list. So like the things that we want to tick off in order for Finn to, to be adoptable. So that's where we're sort of still working through that lens. So like what are the things that we need to um, think about in, in terms of Finn to make this the best product for our customers? So we're still going through that. It's still very new. As I said, we launched Finn in June, on June yeah. the 13th. So we've still just continued working on it from, yeah. from that perspective. Um, so that's sort of the, the future of Finn. But, um, you know, we talk about Finn as, you know, resolving, um, you know, these these more common, frequent questions. But what if Finn could do more, right? Yeah. What if Finn could do much more than just like do simple, like, yeah. you know, answer question format? It could take actions. So it's just like thinking about like what is, yeah. you know, what else can Finn do? And just in, in terms of customer service in, in general, I guess I think we're still in the infancy of AI and customer service, right? I yeah. think it's still very new. Uh, I think a lot of people are still thinking about, you know, how it can trust the AI yeah. and what will it do? I think there's a lot of ethical considerations as well when it comes to using AI in, um, in your day-to-day. But I think for customer service, it's not, uh, I don't think AI will replace roles, for example. I think the roles will change, right? Yeah. There'll be more focus on knowledge and bot management, for example. And that will allow your customer service reps to focus on more complex tasks or yeah. just those, you know, answering to queries that only, that really require human touch, for example. Yeah. So I think it's the, the roles will transform or the, the focus yeah. will shift, but it's not replacing anything. We talk a lot about the role of AI and human support together, you know, enhancing um, each other. Um, And then I think it's just thinking about different use cases. And I think this is relevant to anyone, right? So Finn was, you know, directed to self-serve support. So um, enabling end users to, you know, get support on their own. But you could think about it in different use cases. We actually started with the AI in the inbox. So making the support rep experience easier, more delightful, more efficient in the inbox, right? So you can just think about different verticals, different use cases. I think the possibilities are limitless. And I think that's what excites me so much. We're just just scratching the surface. Yeah, it definitely feels like that. And I think you've really hit the nail on the head there that, you know, this is still a self-help tool used by customers. If you think back to, I guess even like a few years ago, like if you wanted to just get a quick answer online, like a delivery time or um, what what times this store open, for instance, you'd go to an FAQ page. And I don't know about you, but to find that answer, Painful. it felt really structured. <laughs> and all you wanted to do is just kind of like, let me just shout a question out there and, you know, I'll just get, I'll just get the response, like a really basic kind of, yep, nine to five, this shop's open rather than having to kind of go through the different levels because there's so many different questions that a consumer might have. Um, yeah, so I feel like it's not it's not something that should be scary. It's just something that's going to help a lot of people um, a lot more easily. 
Um, but yeah. yeah, I'm always, I'm so curious just to see where, maybe we'll have this podcast in like a year's time and like, hopefully it's not like the Terminator or anything <laughs> like that. Um, hopefully not. No. I could not do this podcast episode <laughs> without making like a Skynet Terminator reference. Well, let's um, see, let's do this in one year's time and see what, what has changed. Um, yeah, just like yeah. the city's burning behind us or <laughs> no. fire, yeah. <laughs> um, well, excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us thank today. Um, yeah, thank you, Julia. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, thank you to you for listening at home. Uh, we'll see you next week. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.